God's the one who built the communication house. It'll stand against anything the world can throw at it. If you teach your children to keep all their communication and behavior in the house, you've taught them the most valuable thing you can ever offer. Welcome to Truth, Love, Parents, where we use God's Word to become intentional, premeditated parents. Here's your host, A.M. Brewster. It poisons relationships. It steals into nearly every Facebook debate. It train wrecks biblical one-anothering all the time, and it's present in 100% of broken relationships, and it's communication problems. There isn't an unbruised holiday, an unscarred hour, or an unsoiled event. Even in the midst of the most loving conversations, lies and silent treatment, screams, propaganda, cutting words, manipulation, and vitriol have have appeared from thin air as suddenly and, and, and explosively as a Las Vegas magician. And we're all guilty. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just eradicate all those, those needless communication problems, in order to focus on the really important things? Instead of unraveling knots of lies, we could just seek forgiveness and restoration. Instead of disarming and exploding temper, we could focus on points of agreement. Instead of throwing verbal hand grenades designed to decimate our opponents, we could just reason our ways toward a solution. But more on that in a minute. We recently received a new five-star rating and review on iTunes. Um, Woodland Wanderer wrote this, Truth Love Parent is excellent for our young family's Sunday school class. So many of the episodes cover precise topics that are necessary for our young parents. They are simple yet deep and are easy to listen to. We can also print out the PDF show notes for them to study later. Uh, thank you so much, Woodland Wanderer. That's, it is exciting to hear how TLP is being used in new and unique ways to reach families. That's great. I never expected uh, that application of this show, so it, it just warms my heart to hear that that's how it's being used. And I pray that we continue to be a useful tool for your ministry. So for everyone in that class who may be listening to this podcast on this Sunday morning, uh, uh, thank you so much for listening, and I praise God for your ministry. All right, so last time we discussed parenting a terrorist. And it's impossible to have a terrorist in the home without also having communication problems. Uh, But whether we could classify our child as a terrorist or not, how do we address the the massive communication issues that exist in all of our families? Well, just a couple days ago, I I was short with my wife. Um, I didn't glorify God. It wasn't beneficial. In fact, it was harmful to the relationship, as all selfishness is. Thankfully, forgiveness was sought and given, and we're moving on in Christ. Isn't it wonderful when relation when communication turns south, but then we can get it back on track before there's too much relational carnage? To this end, I'd like to share a simple tool, and I pray it'll be beneficial for your family, both in uh, learning to communicate correctly and being reminded to communicate correctly. I like to call it the communication house. In fact, from here on out, if I'm using the word house, just know that I'm talking about this concept of the communication house, which metaphorically represents all of the communication that occurs in our homes. Uh, Most of it will be verbal, but it also includes all the nonverbals like body language. So again, when I refer to being in the house, I'm talking about communication that lines up with the prescribed rules for family talk. Conversely, being outside the house occurs when our speech breaks those rules. Imagine trying to carry on a normal conversation when you're on the inside of the house, behind closed doors and windows, and you're carrying on a conversation with me when I'm on your front lawn. That doesn't work well. There's a lot of yelling. There's miscommunication, uh, misunderstanding. There's uh, You start to get emotional because things aren't working out. It doesn't work when one person's inside and one person is outside of the house. 
So before I tell you exactly what the house is, I wanted to go over the rules for using the communication house. And there's four rules. Number one, all communication from all family members at all times must stay inside the house. Two, if any family member or members leave the house with their words, the discussion must immediately change to getting the family member's communication back in the house. The initial topic of conversation cannot move forward as long as even one person refuses to talk about it inside the house. Back to the example I gave of you inside the house and me out in the front lawn. Um, Generally, what would happen is you would leave the house or I would have to come into the house for our previous discussion and our topic to really be understood and to to, to be dealt with. Of course, in the relationship of what the house represents... Uh, us having a fa- us having that conversation on the front lawn uh, isn't going to work. Uh, everyone needs to be inside the house for us to be able to continue discussing uh, whatever the topic is. Okay, so the third rule of the communication house is this. If the family member or members refuse to return to the house, one of two things must happen. A, the conversation must end until everyone can discuss it in the house. Or B, uh, the family member whose communication is outside the house must basically... For all intents and purposes, stop communicating. They just need to stay quiet and listen until they're ready to communicate in the house. Consequently, allowing the family members who are communicating inside the house to continue their communicating. And then the fourth rule of the communication house is this. Assuming all family members uh, either stay in the house or return to the house, the conversation can continue in a Christ-honoring way. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. Four simple rules. Um, But again, what's all this house stuff really mean for our families? Well, the communication house is built like this. I want you to picture a simple line drawing of a home in your mind. Uh, See a straight line on the bottom. That's the foundation. On the sides are two vertical lines. Those are the walls. And of course, the upside down V on the top is the roof. Now, uh, let's start with the foundation, okay? Number one, the foundation of the house needs to be truth. You see, all communication must be honest. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. No lying is allowed in the house. You can't lie and be standing on a foundation of truth. Now, this includes intentional and accidental lying. If I get angry and I say, my life is terrible, I've just lied. Um, If I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell. But see, my God is gracious and has given me a life infinitely greater than what I deserve. I'm also surrounded by people who love me in a comfortable home with toys and clothes that are luxurious compared to billions of people in the world. My life is not terrible, and I shouldn't be allowed to lie about it. And even if I were to live in the vilest slum, hunted like an animal and beaten within a hair of consciousness, it it would still be better than what I deserve. So we can't be standing on a foundation of truth and be saying things that are untrue. The second part of this idea is that all communication must also align to God's revealed truth. This is different than just lying. Uh, This is different than uh, even unintentional lying. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Uh, Proverbs 119, 60 says, The sum of God's word is truth. My daughter may be being honest when she says she believes it's okay to be angry when people mistreat her. She... She's not trying to lie to me. That's what she actually believes. But God has revealed in his word that we're never to respond selfishly. In fact, when people mistreat us, we're to love them all the more. Our words must conform to God's philosophy of life in order to be truthful. Um, We can't subscribe to a failure philosophy and be inside the house. 
So here's an example of how this works. My child has either deliberately or inadvertently lied. They've spoken words which contradict God's truth. My son says to me, do I have to eat my broccoli? It's gross. Now, I've chosen this example because it's deceptively simple. Many of us would reply, yes, eat all your vegetables. But the problem is that unless I address the issue, I've allowed my child to lie to himself and to me. Number one, he lied by saying that broccoli is gross. You may agree with him, uh, but as Christian parents, we must be careful with our words. The words we choose and the tone we employ communicate so much meaning beyond the English syllables that are spoken. Yes, he may not like broccoli, and he may be welcome to express that fact in our homes, but by making the proclamation that broccoli is, in fact, categorically gross, then, by extension, my making him eat it, I'm a terrible person. But the reality is, I'm not going to make him eat something that is gross. The reality is that he personally doesn't like broccoli. There are many people who enjoy it greatly, and he can be and should be one of those people too, because we don't give our child a rock when he asks for bread. We love them and we feed them that which they need to eat. The second thing is this, my child's proclamation that broccoli is gross reveals that he believes it's okay to complain when faced with a situation he doesn't like. This, of course, is false. Grumbling, murmuring, complaining, and griping are completely unacceptable for the Christian. They're always a sin. Of course, there are far clearer examples of lying I could have used, but hopefully this one will encourage you to start looking at your family's communication more carefully. There's another example I like to use when I'm teaching people about the importance of language. Um, I use it oftentimes when I'm speaking at teachers' conventions and things like that. Uh, I'll give the example that every teacher has come in contact with, especially elementary school teachers. Uh, A child will walk up to them and say, Miss so-and-so, I don't have a pencil. Now, when they would do that to me, and I, I, I taught uh, elementary for two years, uh, when the child would come up to me and say, Mr. Brewster, I don't have a pencil, I'd say, I am really sorry to hear that. And then I would go back to what I was doing. And they'd kind of have this awkward look on their face, and they'd say, um, Mr. Brewster, I don't have a pencil. And I'd say, uh, you know, wow, I that's, that's a bummer. Um, you know, uh, I don't have a couple things in my life, too. Like right now, I don't have an apple, and I don't have a uh, million dollars. Um, is there a particular reason that you're telling me this though? I'm just curious. And the kid, they they literally sometimes would super, super struggle with this until finally I would have to lead them to the point. Are you asking me for a pencil? And the kid would be like, yeah. And then I'd walk him through the correct way of asking uh, somebody for something. And I always felt bad for these kids because I, what I generally know uh, when that situation occurs is that there have been a lot of authority figures in that child's life who have allowed him to have a false impression of reality. That a child can walk up to an adult and just make a statement about not having something and automatically assume that therefore every adult in the room is going to jump and try to fulfill his request is ridiculous. It is completely uh, not how the world works. And unfortunately, um, is, is just a tiny little uh, view into why we have a lot of young adults the way we do today. Uh, they've grown up thinking that they can just state um, a need, quote unquote, and uh, everyone's just going to abil- jump at the opportunity to fulfill that need. So when we're not careful in our language and we don't help uh, the other people that we're communicating with to be careful with their language, many false impressions and wrong ideas uh, can come up. Later this year, I'm going to share with you my absolute favorite book on communication. I'll tell you right now, it's called War of Words, and it's written by Paul David Tripp, and it is a must-read for everybody, uh, but definitely for parents because we have the job of teaching our kids to communicate. Uh, Maybe you can check it out before we discuss it. By all means, please do. 
Uh, so anyway, my child says, do I have to eat my broccoli? It's gross. Now, I immediately realize that my child has stepped his toe outside of the communication house. At this moment, no Christ-honoring communication can really continue until everyone is back in the house. If I just reply, yes, eat your broccoli, and move on, I've given my child permission to stand outside the communication house, and because of that, there are going to be issues. Big or small, there can be issues, and as we all know, uh, those little issues tend to add up pretty quickly. And as we'll see in a minute, uh, that will just make it easier for him to walk further and further from the house later. So instead of answering his question, I may do what Jesus did so often and ask him a question. Hey, bud, do you think that calling broccoli gross pleases the Lord? Of course, um, everyone's home is different. And in my home, that question is packed with meaning and context because in my family, we have discussed this topic very often. However, in the event that I haven't ever broached this concept before, uh, maybe uh, maybe it's coming from a student who is new to my home here at Victory Academy, or, or um, maybe it's just not something I've dealt with with my child before, uh, then I may have to explain myself. I may say, Micah, and that's my son's name, broccoli is not gross. In fact, many people love broccoli, including me. Uh, you may not like it now, but I believe you can learn to like it. But see, the most important thing to remember is that God has blessed us with everything you see on this table. We don't deserve any of this. In fact, we deserve to be in hell because we've all sinned against God. But not only does he love us enough to save us, he also loves us enough to give us healthy food. Complaining about his blessings shows a heart of ungratefulness and discontentment. So please eat your broccoli without complaining. Um, You may put a little salt on it if you like. Now, you may be thinking, really, Aaron, you really would say all of that. And I can say, honestly, yeah. In fact, I would encourage you to ask my wife. In fact, actually, just to keep myself honest, I did ask my wife. I I read that illustration to her. And when I got to the part where I said, really, you really would say all that before I even could finish it, she said, yes, definitely you would. Because she's heard me talk like that on such occasions over and over and over again. She would tell you categorically, yes, that is how my husband talks. Now, I wouldn't say all of that to my child every time, though. Because after introducing the concepts, I'd just be able to use them as touchstones in future conversations. If it were ever to come up again, I don't, I don't like this, whatever. You know, I could say, hey, buddy, remember that conversation we had about God's provision and the things he's given us and how we should be grateful? He'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, remember that. And then in the future, I, I might not even have to say that much. But the point is this. As an intentional, premeditated parent who understands how important it is for a child to understand why he does what he does, I am totally prepared to point my son back to God's truth when he shows even the smallest hint of really calling God a liar. Now, please don't be overwhelmed or discouraged. It does take a lot of practice to hear the subtle lies and then address them biblically. But it's so important. In Deuteronomy 6, our Heavenly Father declares to us, The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I don't think it sounds very far-fetched to suggest that we should be teaching these things to our children when they're eating broccoli as well. And this goes for our teenage daughters who tell us about an unchaperoned party she wants to go to with her high school friends, and you inform her why she won't be going, and she replies, everyone at school is going to hate me. She needs to understand the lies inherent in her communication, and God's tasked you with teaching her that. 
See, the foundation of our family's communication must be truth. If we can't start there, we will never have a conversation or tell a joke or give a lecture that glorifies God. The second part of the communication house is uh, the four walls of love. Now, imagine each of the four walls with a word written on it. Each word will represent a facet of biblical love. The first wall is this, love is humble. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 5. Loving communication cannot ever be a me versus you thing. Loving communication doesn't brag or boast. It doesn't display self-worship by insisting on its own way. Humble communication focuses on others and apologizes when it stops being humble. Uh, the second wall is love is patient, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Loving communication suffers long. It doesn't lose its temper uh, or give the silent treatment when it doesn't get what it wants. And that love is also kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 7, and then also even Colossians 4, 6. Uh, loving communication builds people up. It's encouraging, friendly, and gracious. Loving communication gives the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't say hurtful things or quote-unquote joke in a way that tears people down. It also speaks truth because it knows that lying to people about life is the most hateful thing to do. Therefore, it shines the light of the gospel to all it meets. And the fourth wall is that love is forgiving. In Ephesians 4.32, we see that people who humbly acknowledge how patient, kind, and forgiving their Savior has been with them have no problem forgiving those who sin against them. Again, to the broccoli incident, I may also have to take the time to remind my son that proclaiming that the broccoli is gross is incredibly unkind to the person who made it. I'll likely encourage him to apologize to the cook for being so obtuse. But there's also the possibility that the initial question, do I have to eat my broccoli, is really a manipulative tactic. Uh, it depends on your child, uh, what expectations you've communicated them previously, the tone of voice they use, etc. But since we're talking about my son, I can tell you that my wife and I have clearly communicated to him the Brewster way of eating. I can tell you categorically that my children know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are all required to eat everything we give them. Asking to be excused from this Brewster family dinnertime commandment is uh, really a subtle attempt to express self-autonomy. Most children learn early on that telling mommy and daddy no is a no-go. So, motivated by the same heart of self-worship, they learn to modify the no into a statement or question that will hopefully get them what they want. And this ties into the final part of the communication house, the roof, which is conveniently shaped like an arrow pointing straight up. And that's because the roof points toward God and his glory. So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, which includes communicating with your family, do all to the glory of God, says 1 Corinthians 10.31. Christ-honoring communication understands it will never accidentally glorify God, so it deliberately seeks to. People whose communication is founded on truth and built in love cannot say anything that displeases the Lord. It is the fulfillment of Augustine's vision of a mature Christian. He said, love God and do whatever you want. Well, I say, love God and say whatever you want. If, you're, if everything you're saying is true and honest and corresponds to God's word, if everything you're saying is done in love for other people, then you will be glorifying God in your communication. So again, with the broccoli illustration, in a perfect world, the question, do I have to eat my broccoli, it's gross, wouldn't be spoken by my child because they would understand the reality of God's provision, the importance of their continued maturity and the culinary exploits, and the health benefits of broccoli. And for this reason, they wouldn't even think to ask to be excused from eating it or dare to possibly offend someone by critiquing it so harshly because their sole goal is the glory of God in eating broccoli. <laughs> I had a hard time saying that with a straight face because none of our children are like that. Mine's not, aren't, yours aren't because they're sinners. And the reason God gave our parent, excuse me, the reason God gave our children 
parents is to help them learn to live in a way that pleases him. That involves correcting their acting and their speaking, their feeling, thinking, and believing. All right, so now what I want to do is share with you a quick snippet from a video I found on YouTube. I'm linking it in the description, not because I think you'll actually want to watch it, but I want to be fair to the individuals who posted it. The complete video is a little over two minutes, and it's a back and forth between a father and his very little girl over whether or not the number four comes between three and five. Uh, This was unfortunately one of the only clean, mildly appropriate parent-slash-child arguments I could find on YouTube. By the way, don't search YouTube for parents and children arguing. It'll break your heart and sadden you to the core. I mean, there's so many of them, and it's just so sad uh, that people not only are having these arguments, but that they're posting them online for everyone to see. Um... This one won't make you want to cry. So take a listen. Four, five. No, that's one, two, three, five. No, one, two, three, four, five. No, no, one, two, three, five. No, it's one, two, three, four, five. No, that's one, two, three, five. No, it's not one, two, three, five. It's one, two, three, four, five. No, that's one, two, three, five. How are you going to tell me? How are you going to tell me? I teach this every day. It's one, two, three, four, five. No, it's one, two, three, five. Now, the person laughing in the background and giggling, I should say, in the background was mom. And this continues on for a little bit longer. And then we hear this. <laughs> Aaliyah, it's one, two, three, four. No, mommy. That's one, two, three, five. No. no, you're skipping four. You're skipping four. You can't just leave four out. It's one, two, three, four, five. No, it's one, two, three, five. No, no, that's not right. It's one, two, three, four, five. No, it's one, two, three, five. Aaliyah, I'm not going to keep going back and forth with you. It's one, two, three, four, five. five. Yes. Yeah. Count to one, two, three, five. <laughs> It's one, two, three, four. No, mommy, it's one, two, three, four, five. All right, count to four. One, two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. What? Point proven. Yeah. Yeah. And no doubt right now you are all smiling because it is, I mean, it is, it's kind of funny. It's silly. It's, it's humorous. It's, it's ridiculous that this little person is even having this argument, but none of us are really surprised because we know that foolishness and rebellion are inherent in the heart of every human being, no matter how cute and small they may be. So, okay. To begin with, we see that this little girl is clearly not communicating in the house. Uh, What she's arguing is untrue. She's likely doing it in an unintentionally disrespectful way because she's immature And I think it would be impossible to think she's having this conversation because she wants to glorify God. So her communication is 100% outside of the house. Now, I know nothing about this family, so let's assume for a second that dad is a Christian, and he generally wants to glorify his Lord. And that's not really necessarily a far-fetched assumption, because from what I know of this family just in this video, um, it, it seems that, you know, they're doing a pretty good job. He's not losing his cool. He's not getting angry. He's not being manipulative. But though his ultimate goal may be to glorify God, and though he appears to be meeting the quote-unquote love criteria all right, you know, he's being humble, patient, kind, and forgiving, and even though what he's saying is honest and true, he's still missing one significant element. He's giving his daughter the impression that this conversation is okay. And that's not honest. 
this young lady believes her father is untrustworthy. She's also certain that telling her dad no repeatedly is acceptable. And this poor little girl is finally believing the lie that as long as you argue what you believe with enough passion and with enough patience, that the world will eventually bow to you. And dad should be the one to kindly and lovingly remind her that her worldview is faulty. He should be telling her something like, Sweetheart, first of all, don't tell daddy no. That's not appropriate. He should be dealing with the fact that daddy is trustworthy. You say, well, these are big words and big concepts for a little girl. It's really not. She can understand it. She can really get it. And I believe that potentially had that been part of the, uh, of the process of helping her to see this, again, we would have seen that her counting three, four, five wasn't the biggest issue. Her loving and respecting mommy and daddy were. Now, mom and dad came to a great way of showing it to her there at the end. All right, count to four. And as soon as she did that, she was like, oh, okay, this works. But what other things was she taught? You see, our children leave the communication house every time they lie or believe a lie, every time they're unloving, and every time they have any goal other than God's glory. None of those conversations ever work. They always end in relational carnage. The little girl we heard eventually accepted her dad's instructions that four follows three, but she also received his tacit instruction that she can foolishly contradict him and disrespectfully argue with him and everything will be okay in the end. Unless he teaches her to reject those lies, the next time she debates with him about broccoli or homework or that boy at school or her eating habits, she'll be equipped with more passion, more volume, and potentially more refined arguing abilities. And because of this, I think you're observant enough to see really what the real beauty of the communication house is. You see, I suggested earlier that communicating in the house allows your family to focus on the more important issues instead of being distracted by the sins of the mouth. But if we really communicate in God's way for God's reasons, there won't be any other issues. You see, staying in the house is the greatest win-win for every relationship because it affects every facet of life and applies in every situation. The little girl counts one, two, three, five. Daddy says it's one, two, three, four, five. Little girl can say, thank you, daddy. One, two, three, four, five. Or little girl says, I don't understand why I have to do all this homework. Daddy says, hey, remember that God loves you. He only gives you what's good for you. And he commands that you trust him and be thankful. Maybe you should take a little break. Uh, then we can ask God um, for some help, uh, you know, to help us with this thinking process and learning process. And, and I can, then I can help you out with number four. Little girl says, thanks for reminding me. Or little girl says, dad, I think I love him. Daddy says, I am so happy you have special feelings for this boy. But remember what God says about boys and girls. If he's born again, you should treat him like a brother. And right now, you're only 14. You're not really ready to meet your husband. But if you trust me, I'll help you become the young lady that the right young man will be uh, attracted to. And then we can start learning about that husband and wife love. And the little girl can say, I'm really happy you know so much about God. Or the little girl says, I think I'm getting fat. Dad says, your mom and I have done a good job teaching you about healthy eating and healthy weight. What makes you think you're fat? Daughter says, the girls at school are making fun of me. Daddy says, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, first, let me tell you that you're not fat. Those girls are just trying to be unkind. God tells us that people will fight and argue and war and kill because they're not getting what they want. I don't know what those girls want so badly that they're tempted to hurt you like that, but let's talk about how you can love them the way Jesus would. And the little girl says, it's hard to love people who hate you, but I'm glad God did it for me. Yeah, I know. These illustrations seem fanciful. 
but you've been given to your children to help them mature into that kind of thinking. When we steep our minds in truth, form our words in love, and live for God's glory, we can spend more time growing in Christ instead of arguing in self. I hope you'll join us next time. Uh, We are going to discuss the indispensable parenting tool called Revolving Priorities. Understanding how to use that tool is instrumental in using the communication house and dealing with terrorists the right way. As long as everyone in the house communicates correctly, there are no issues. But whenever there's arguing about broccoli, the number four, or marijuana, you need to know how to get him back in the house. And don't forget to check out evermindministries.com where you will not only find the episode notes, but you'll also find an image that we've created especially for this, uh, this episode that will visually represent for you the truths that we've discussed about the communication house. I encourage you to print it out, teach it to your family, frame it, and post it in a central location in your home, or maybe multiple if necessary, in order to remind everyone in your house to keep their communication in the house. And if this episode has been a blessing, please consider subscribing to Truth Love Parent on iTunes and then sharing it with your friends. You can also like and follow TLP on Facebook and me on Twitter at A.M. Brewster. And sometimes people like to write us to get more information about a topic or to give them some counsel specific for their unique family needs. And if that's you, please don't hesitate to contact us at counselor at evermindministries.com. Listen, God's the one who built the communication house. It will stand against the world, anything the world can throw at it. If you teach your children to keep all their communication and behavior in the house, you've taught them the most valuable lesson that you can ever offer. Truth, Love, Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you become an intentional, premeditated parent. Join us next time as we search God's Word for the truth your family needs today.